the 2018 political outlook in Kansas. Greetings, you're on Deep Background. I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star's editorial board. Greetings. Happy New Year to everyone. It is 2018. And joining me today is um, a reporter extraordinaire from Topeka, Hunter Woodall. Hunter, thanks for coming in to talk about all things Kansas in the uh, year to come. Um, well, let's start in the obvious place, which is we're in the middle of the weirdest political death watch <laughs> that I've seen in many, many years. We're still waiting. Our understanding as we tape this on the 3rd of January is that Sam Brownback is still the governor and will act as governor until further notice. Is, is that right? Talk to us a little bit about where that stands. Well, it's been really interesting, Dave, because you see, you know, it was interesting for a while. You know, he, he kept saying to us, oh, he'll be confirmed by, you know, he was hoping to get confirmed by Christmas. Right. Um, I can't tell you how many events I was at where, he, you know, we would hear some sort of timeline. I mean, Collier had hoped even before Thanksgiving at one point. So it's just been all over the place. Let, let's back up a little bit now. Governor Brownback has been nominated to be the U.S. Ambassador for Religious Freedom. I'm sort of, it's not the exact title, but close enough, through the State Department, mm -hmm. had a hearing. We all expected a confirmation vote in 2017. It never came. Yeah, and, and even, you know, I was down in, in D.C. at the end of, uh, end, end of December, and, you know, folks there, I think, were very surprised. You know, I talked to Roy Blunt, I talked to Pat Roberts, and I think they were all, you know, rather annoyed that he hadn't gotten through yet. And, of course, you can see, you know, with Brownback, he's kind of cut back his media appearances with us as this has gone on. Um, and he, he's, it seems like he's very clearly frustrated. Right. Um, and there was a time, wasn't there, where e even from Governor Brownback, it appeared that he was winding down his attention to state issues and turning some of, it, uh, some of it over to uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Jeff Collier and and gave every indication that he was stepping away and then has now had to step back in, right? Well, and he kept comparing it almost to a relay. I believe he said that a few times to us. You know, it's like a relay, you know, it's a handoff type of thing. And, I mean, you know, right before Thanksgiving, it was talking about how, you know, he very, kind of essentially unprompted said, yeah, Collier's doing the budget work ahead of the session. And he's had to kind of walk that back now. And, you know, Collier's had to walk that back. I mean, Collier, you know, has already staffed up a communications department. Um, he's all he's all ready for this to happen. I mean, you saw he appointed a cabinet secretary, right. um, you know, last year, well, the, too. The former director of the Republican Party is working for mm -hmm. Jeff Collier, right? Exactly. Clay Barker, so, yeah. Clay Barker. So... So obviously everyone expected one thing to happen that has not happened. So what does that mean going forward in your view? Well, it's an interesting start to the session. I mean, you know, it was there were so many questions of who was going to give the state of the state, which is why, you know, he has to put out a press release saying he is giving the state of the state. And he's, right. I mean, his account tweeted definitively, I will stay in office and you know, I'll remain in office until confirmed by the Senate. So it's, it's, it's just an interesting process for him. I mean, this is a guy, you know, who you know, years ago was running for president. And now he can't even get through a Senate confirmation. Yeah. yeah. And we, we could obviously spend an entire podcast trying to figure out why that is true. And maybe we will at some point. But he's made it clear he's not leaving until he gets confirmed one way or another. We have no indication from the White House whether he'll be renominated or, if so, how long that process will take. So isn't it, uh, Hunter, a reasonable conclusion that Kansan should expect Sam Brownback to remain governor through the entire session? I mean, why would we not reach that conclusion based on the evidence we've had so far that, that and, and he's clearly not going to walk away? That, that if he can't get a vote in the last seven months of 2017, why do we think he can get a vote in the first four months of 2018? 
I don't think so. I mean, you may have a different view. Well, it's all interesting. I mean, I suppose it's possible, but, you know, Collier's staff has kind of stayed together. They seem they seem intent that eventually Collier will become governor um, through this process. And that it's I, Democrats only have so many roadblocks like I think they can throw up in the U.S. Senate. Um, it's it's still interesting. It wasn't clear exactly why he didn't get through this time because, you know, they can still right. – they have the majority on this. I mean, are there Republicans that don't want him to get through? What's right. the deal? Right. I think that's part of the story, frankly, is that, you know, if, they, if there had been some muscle behind the nomination, he could have gotten through at some point. They, they approved like 60 nominations in the closing mm-hmm. hours of the first session. Plus, you don't get the sense, I don't anyway, that uh, the White House or President Donald Trump – uh, are that focused on this nomination at all. Remember, Sam Brownback wasn't a great Trump backer. I mean, it, 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 the, the nomination for Brownback was almost kind of an afterthought. What can, can we find something for him to do? He wants out. Oh, this would be good. And so you don't really have pressure from the White House to push it through. The Republicans are a little iffy on the guy, partly because of just their own relationships with him. But also, I think, you know, the tax bill was working its way through and the last thing they wanted is a lot of attention paid to to kansas and tax policy and and so you know it 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 came to the end of 2017 no change so it's just my own view that you know kansas is going to have to operate on the assumption that he's still the governor indefinitely now am i wrong in that or 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 right and what do lawmakers tell you well, lawmakers seem seem to think. You know, we talked. I talked to the Republican, uh, you know, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, or not Ways and Means, in the House, the Budget Committee. And he was saying, you know, he does expect Collier, you know, to to become governor and all that. Really? And it, you know, it, it's this whole process. Of, everybody thought this was going to happen sooner, so every now is kind of trying to reel back what they're saying, you know. And the thing is, though, Republicans, you know, conservative, have also been criticizing Brownback for years. I mean, yes. I was talking to uh, J.R. Clay, a slander Republican. He he talked about rudderless leadership from the executive branch for the last few years. I mean, and this, you know, this is a conservative guy right. who's frustrated. You know, and I, conservatives have been frustrated that Brownback hadn't been fighting more. And I, I, I can't see him fighting more now that he's he's kind of in this spot. Right. I mean, I, and the conservatives were waxed in 2017. We have no reason to believe that they won't face similar challenges or even more. For example, Medicaid expansion in Kansas almost passed last year over the governor's veto. Maybe there's more momentum for something like that now. I mean, let's let's do transition into that discussion. What are the big issues facing the legislature and how does the governor's posture influence those in your view? Well, you know, obviously the dominant one will be school finance. I mean, that, and they have a very tight rope to walk on that one because, you know, they've ever, I've heard deadlines everywhere from early March to, you know, obviously I think they can go as late as April on this, but it's just... Again, it, let's review for listeners who aren't completely up on this. The Kansas Supreme Court has said again that the legislature has inadequately funded schools in the state of Kansas. They, the members of the court did not give a firm target of what would be adequate funding, but they did give the legislature another chance to come up with some some more f- money. And, and we don't know. We'll, the common estimate is $600 million. That's correct. All in one year or over two years? Do we have a sense of that at all? $600 million here a lot. In addition to the $1.2 billion over two years they did last session. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where they... The six hundred million. Where where can you get it from? That's what the you know, attorneys for the school districts are saying. Right. And you know, can you can you kind of scale that out? How does that quite work? So, it's 
it's going to be interesting. I mean, does it take a tax increase? Do you cut it from somewhere else in the budget? Right. Do you pass a constitutional amendment? There's also talk of that. Let's come back to that. But we don't. So we don't know what the target is. But as a working figure, six hundred million seems logical. It, it certainly. There's a sense, is there not, that if you got the $600 million somehow, if it fell from the sky, the court would be satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there are no easy ways to get to that number, are there? No. I mean, you'd have to either cut other things or raise taxes or do a combination of both. And in an election year, particularly after 2017, it uh, doesn't seem like there's a lot of taste for that. Exactly. And I mean, the funny thing being, of course, the entire House is you know, going to be up for re-election this year. You know, the Senate, I think there might be one, you know, one seat because some, you right. know, somebody had resigned. So the Senate can kind of, you know, kind just of write sit, it out. sit back and see. But I mean, I think the House is just going to be going back and forth trying to figure out, you know, what the appetite is for any of this. Because, I mean, and they have such a large, you know, it's essentially three, three different parts, moderates, conservatives and Democrats. And so how... Um, do we have a sense in this early date how those coalitions will align themselves in 2018 or or you know I want to come back to the constitutional amendment but but if you just assume for a moment that you have to deal with this problem is uh, will there be a coalition to come up with a similar solution as they did in 2017 and how does the governor's relative weakness factor into that politically in your view well, you know, again, I think, you know, last year we saw Governor, you know, Brownback essentially saying you have to roll me, you know, on, on a lot Which of these Which they things. did. Yeah, then they did. And it's easier to roll him now, right? Exactly. I mean, he, you know, he's just, he's, he's, he's publicly ceded power to, power to Collier. So, it's you know, it's, that, again, right. the two-governor situation, which he's trying to walk back On the from. other hand, the 2017 decision came in a non-election year, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of yak at the time that, in essence, well, this solves our problem. We finally addressed our problem. And Republicans who supported it are in a difficult position of coming back this year and saying, well, we didn't really solve it. Well, right? and that, so, you know, last year you saw Dems and Mods working together. That's how this essentially got done. And then conservatives eventually came over to push, the, you right. know, that, that overthrew. But, you know, there's nothing to say that, you know, maybe it's Mods and the conservatives this year. Are the moderate Republicans going to come home to the conservative Republicans? You right. know, it's, and you don't have any sense of that at all yet. Everybody's kind of playing their cards close to the chest. Yeah. I mean, last session, you know, House Minority Leader Jim Moore, you know, Wichita Democrat running for governor, you know, he, did, he, he has a brash style. I think he did alienate some people, and, and there are right. some hard feelings on that still. Right. Now, one of the other solutions being talked about, which I think you've written about and some others, is this idea of putting a constitutional amendment on the ballot that – depending on the language, would take the court out of the decision-making process mm-hmm. on school funding or redefine suitable or maybe take that word out of the Constitution. So we don't know the specifics of that plan yet or how it might go through. But it's, you know, it would take two-thirds votes in both houses to put it on the ballot mm-hmm. for the people of Kansas. Are there that many votes for a constitutional amendment on this issue? Well, that's the thing. When you, I was talking to uh, to one prominent Republican in the House, I mean, you have to, you know, have, you'd have to have an amendment. You can't imagine the Democrats getting on board with this. Correct. So you have to please everybody from John Whitmer, you know, one of the more conservative Republicans in Kansas, who, you know, down in Wichita, to Melissa Rooker, one of the more moderate Republicans over here Correct. in Johnson County. I mean, how and how do you word something like that to please both of them? Right. And there was some, is there not a push, I think I read this somewhere, to try and put it on the April ballot. They're taking a look at trying to do it before presumably the session would be over or the veto session or whatever. Right. And I've seen that push, but I mean, and that, that kind of timeline, it, 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 I mean, you're going at a breakneck pace there. I'm not sure, you know, you'd have to have a lot of arms breaking really quickly to get that done. Right. So, so a constitutional amendment, unless they pursue this April idea, 
doesn't help you much, does it? I mean, you still got to satisfy the court. Mm -hmm. As you suggested, maybe March is a deadline for that. So it seems like the constitutional amendment answer is a distraction. One way or another, you have to deal with school finance this time. Well, it's kind of funny. You know, I started, you know, right before the special session in 16, you know, they were doing, I think there was one branch doing constitutional amendment stuff, one group of lawmakers, and another one's actually doing, you know, the fix for the court. And it's just, you know, you're going to eventually, I think they're just going to say, we got to get something to the court and this whole thing will fall by the wayside. I just don't know how you have support from all those Republicans in the House to get that thrown. And again, as we sit here on the 3rd of January, one week before the session starts, roughly one week, we don't know, we don't have a good sense of how any of this is going to play out. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so much up is up in the air. All right. The other big issue or another big issue facing the the legislature in 2018 will be this whole idea of transparency, which you and others worked so hard on in the newspaper in 2017 to show how Kansas has, across a broad range of activities, a problem with uh, showing its work to the public. And there was a lot of reaction to that series, and rightly so. Is that is the momentum still there in your view for some some aggressive uh, push to make the government more transparent in Kansas? Well, and I, I still have yet to see folks, you know, they, they all float their ideas, but transparency, especially in an election year, I mean, as you know, as well as I do, becomes such a buzzword. You know, Co- I mean, Kobach is now saying, right. you know, he's transparent. He called, at the Donald Trump Jr. event, he called President Trump the most transparent president yeah. ever. I, 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 just as an aside, I had to chuckle because Chris Kobach also the other day uh, put the heat on the, I think, the Kansas Corporation Commission to force utilities mm-hmm. to, to cut their rates because of Trump's tax reform, which is, you know, the, the traditional idea of government interference with private enterprise is an interesting concept. And apparently Chris believes that when it suits his political purposes, he can have the government intervene. That's just a quick aside. But but you're right, transparency is a buzzword. But there are concrete things that right. could be done committee votes, for example, some of the other stuff in the legislature itself. And then, you know, more broadly, a, a, a new look at, at Sunshine Law mm-hmm. uh, requirements, that type of thing. Do we get that, or is it sort of nibbling at the edges, or will people forget about it by February? And that's the thing. With school finance dwarfing everything, you kind of see all these other issues fall by the wayside. So I think you would really have to have some folks very committed saying, okay, we want to get these votes recorded. You know, we, we have issues with what we saw in the, the, you know, that DCF story that Laura Bauer wrote right, right. You know, about the shredding of documents. You, you have to have folks who are really determined to get that through. And, you know, when I go through the pre-filed bills so far, I haven't seen anything like that. Right. Again, everybody, everybody loves idea of transparency, but how are they actually going to do this? Yeah, which is why, uh, just as an aside, quickly, we editorialized in favor of a state auditor on the November ballot because the idea uh, is, in essence, Kansas needs some sort of ombudsman, somebody to whom you can turn when you feel like you're not getting the kind of response you need from DCF or from any executive agency or or uh, you know other uh, other act- activities of the state government, uh, and there was some flurry when we first wrote that editorial. That seems to have died down a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I, I know. I, I found that to be yeah. I found that to yeah, be the case. Yeah. So, so if there is to be transparency reform. It's going to take another push or two, isn't it? It's, I think it's going to take a strong. You know, you have to have a coalition. Because the governor's not for it. I mean, he, you know, he. I mean, he's leaving. I mean, he. It's not like now. My guess is that the state of the state, he'll come out. We must be transparent to the and open. And of course, he's claimed throughout this whole process that they are open, which you know anyone who pays attention knows that's not true. But so, but it takes someone to champion it, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Other than the newspaper. 
And that was the thing, um, you know, so Lieutenant Governor Collier, you know, had appointed Gina Meyer Hummel to lead DCF, and I sat down with uh, her along with Laura Bauer, the reporter here at the paper, and we had a, you know, really nice chat with her where she made the big point about transparency, about being open. Um, you know, how does that all go, though? Because, you know, Collier kept saying, you know, we're going to be transparent, but it's not Collier's ship right now. It's still Brownbacks. Right. And, and again, there are systemic changes that should be made that won't be made unless someone in the legislature stands up and says, okay, this is my deal. I want to make transparency however defined the deal in 2018, and you don't sense that anybody has jumped up to, well, to, to, to carry that. That's the weird thing, because it's not a, you know, it, it's an issue, it's not an issue that essentially, I mean, some of the most conservative members I know, you know, want more transparency. I mean, you have people like John Barker, you right. know, from Abilene, Molly Baumgartner down, you know, in Lewisburg, they, you know, they're, they're big about transparency. But, you know, you, so you have conservative, you have some conservatives, some moderates, uh, you right. know, quite a few of the Democrats. But, but I mean, you could change the idea of, uh, you could change the rule on introducing committee bills. Mm-hmm. Next week. I mean, it would, you know, just we're going to change the rules. Now there has to be a name attached to bills. If they fail to pass that kind of legislation, it will send a pretty powerful signal that there was a lot of lip service paid to this, but not real commitment. Right, Hunter? Or not? You know, it's one of those things where you know they actually would have to make change to kind of go, you know, to follow through on what they've been saying for right. the last few months. Right. And, and, and that's easy. That's simple. Right. That's not a constitutional amendment. You just change your rules and say, hey, all bills must have a named sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, they, they, it seems to me like it will know pretty quickly whether it was just lip service or whether people were involved. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Hunter about 2018 politics in the state of Kansas. You're on Deep Background. Back now with Hunter Woodall of the Stars Topeka Bureau. I'm Dave Helling with the uh, Stars Editorial Board. Well, <laughs> all of this that we've just talked about plays out against the background of an election year in Kansas and an incumbent governor, whoever that is, uh, who may or may not be a candidate in 2018. Give us your uh, view of the landscape. Uh, first, let's start with the Republican Party, a list as long as your arm of people who want to <laughs> run. Um, and what could be a pretty aggressive, divisive primary ahead? Well, it's you know it's a large field, and obviously you know we, folks have gotten criticized for for saying that Chris Kobach is a front runner, but you still see other Republicans branding their campaign, their campaign's criticisms towards Kobach. Everybody seems to be worried about Kobach, and obviously he's had the splashiest fundraiser so far publicly with Donald Trump Jr. coming to town to support him. I believe in late November. Um, it, it's one of those things where you have you know. Kobach, you have Lieutenant Governor Jeff Collier still running, you know, unclear if he'll be able to run as the incumbent or just running still as Lieutenant Governor. Then, you know, you have a slew of, you know, you have former state reps, former state senators, former candidates, former candidates. And, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that field really, it's large right now, you know, and we expect, you know, it could narrow in, you know, any day now once we finally see those first campaign well, finance reports. Well, what will the issues be on the Republican side? Do, is, is Brownback, is Sam Brownback the overriding issue? really in both parties, but particularly in the Republican Party. I mean, you do you do get the sense that some are going to say, no, I'm, you know, I'm separate from Governor Brownback. I would do di- things differently. And then Chris Kobach has doubled down on Brownback repeatedly, and we're going to go back and cut taxes again. And 
even Jeff Collier to a degree. Is he is Brown back the issue, the only issue on the Republican side? Well, that's the funny thing is the longer he, he sticks around, we, I mean, we didn't think he'd be an issue because we thought he'd be long gone by 2018, you know, off in D.C. The longer he sticks around, the more I think he's probably still a, a figure in this race in terms of people pointing to this person's a Brownback alley, this person voted with Brownback. Right. I mean, you saw in 20, 2016 that became a huge issue, you know, for you know Republicans that had supported those ideologies. Um, he, that, that whole, you know, theory of conservative, you know, red state government, I mean, Kobach's essentially wrapped his arms around that in the same way he's wrapped his arms around Trump. Um, and of course, you know, Collier seems to be the heir apparent to Brownback, not, not Kobach. So it's, it's going to, and how do you become more conservative than Chris Kobach? Yeah. Yeah. But right. How do you get to the right of Chris Kobach, which is why I've argued for some time that uh, Jeff Collier should go to the left. You're not going to get to the right of, of, of Chris Kobach, so show some ability to get something done. Maybe broker a school finance deal. Maybe work on Medicaid expansion. And yet we haven't seen any evidence that Collier is inclined to do any of those things. Well, right I, or wrong? I had asked him that uh, late last year, or gosh, maybe it was even you know in the fall. I just said, you know, what if you know obviously school finance big challenge. What if you're the guy to fix this? Right. What if you can solve this? You can say, you know, because he kept talking about how many governors have dealt with this as an issue. But what if you can go to the voters and say, I am the one who fixed this right. finally after gen- after a generation. Um, but how do you do that? And he's kind of hamstrung, you know, this whole one governor at a time thing. Yeah, but, which I think is an excuse, Hunter. I must say, in, 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 in largely because of the entire field, Republicans and Democrats, uh, Jeff Collier is in the best, perhaps the only position to actually change what happens in the legislature this year through his you know, lobbying efforts or discussions with members or offering his own plan or whatever. And, and in my view, the only way he wins is if he shows some record of success because I think that's what Kansans will really look for in November, which is who is best positioned to get us off this eight-year screaming match that we've been in and really move the state forward. And Collier has the best opportunity to prove he can do that, Mm -hmm. and yet again has shown (laughs) no inclination to grab those reins at all. Because, you know, Chris Kobach can stand to the side and say, oh, I want to do this, and I want to throw this out, and... But has no responsibility, really. I mean, he, he could just lob, you know, water balloons against the wall and see what happens. So just as, as a strategic thing, you would think that Collier would want to step forward, but he's shown no signs of doing that. So what what other issues, any other issues that come up in the in the Republican? I mean, is abortion, gun rights, are there other things that will be important in the Republican primary? You know, it's not clear. I mean, so many of those folks kind of have the same same ideologies. I mean, you know, Medicaid expansion has kind of been shown, right. you know, like Jim Bar- you know, Jim Barnett is, in, you know, in favor of it. And I, you know, I believe that, you know, some of those more moderate candidates are as well. But it isn't clear if that's going to be the big poll. We, I don't think we've quite seen develop what is going to be the defining issue. Is it going to be the tax, you know, increases, right. you know, voted on last year or anything like that? We're not sure yet. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the Democratic side uh, and look at that field, which is fascinating, too. Uh, at some point, we thought Jim Ward and Josh Shavati, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I've heard it about eight different ways. <laughs> uh, right. Would be, uh, and apologies, Josh, if you're listening, um, would be considered the front runners. And yet at the end of the year, Laura Kelly jumped into the field. That changes the dynamic on the Democratic side, doesn't it? Oh, obviously. I mean, Laura Kelly, you know, is has such a great record, you know, in, tr- in terms of working, you know, she's the go-to Democrat if you talk budget, you talk school finance, you talk transparency. She is that person, you know, for the Democrats as a go-to on so many issues. She's just a source of knowledge for them. Right. And it's smart, well-respected, uh, you know, but but a Democrat, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, 
you know, you know, some people may see her as a moderate Democrat, which in Kansas is an interesting concept, but but she doesn't stray too far from party orthodoxy, right? Exactly. But, you know, she, she hasn't shown the same um, – she hasn't alienated folks like you've seen Jim Moore do. Um, and obviously she's close with Kathleen Sebelius, you know, not that I, you know, Sebelius has not come out and endorsed her or something like that, but they are close. Right. And you almost you get the sense, and I think critics have even said this of her, Laura Kelly might just be, you know, another another Kathleen Sebelius right. type and, version. And she's a woman. Let's just be clear. I mean, she, you know, that's advantageous, particularly in a Democratic primary where Kathleen Sebelius is still held in some high esteem. Ward is considered a flawed candidate. Josh may be flawed because of the sort of uh, middling position on abortion rights. So she seems like, you know, an answer to some prayers. Now, she seemed reluctant, Hunter, to get into this field. I mean, she waited and waited and waited. What Do you think that was planned, or do you think uh, she changed her mind at the end? Well, it always been reporter gossip that, like, why, why, would not, why wouldn't somebody like Laura Kelly run? Um, and we I, wrote editorial after editorial about how many uh, how, how Kansas needed to recruit more women. I mean, mm-hmm. they, 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 no woman had filed other than one, I think, teenager who was running for one office, had filed for mm-hmm. statewide office. That was just breathtaking in a state like Kansas. She, of course, broke that string. Uh, again, a, a planned thing, or did she want to wait for strategic purposes, or did something change her mind? Well, Do you have a sense of that at it, all? It's not clear. It was funny, though, uh, and I, this proves I should never make jokes. Uh, a few <laughs> days before she announced, I was joking with her, you know, so many people have announced for governor. Oh, you're not going to announce for governor, too, right? right, right and then right. four days later, you know, a few days later, she did. <laughs> She's in. She's in. But she changes the field. And she gives encouragement to Democrats, right? I mean, I do think that that at, as we sit here again today, a lot of things can happen. She is considered the strongest candidate that they can offer, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, she she is. It's hard to not see her as a, as a force we reckon with on that side, right? And and you know, uh, Laura Kelly, Chris Kobach, Laura Kelly, Jeff Collier, Laura Kelly, even Ed O'Malley, or some of the Jim Barnett, other candidates. You can see where those, as again, as we sit here today, are going to be very good, solid races. I mean, it isn't, you know, it will be probably conceivably less partisan in some ways. I mean, Democrats have a chance in Kansas if they nominate the right candidate. It seems like most Democrats think Laura Kelly is that person. Well, and, you know, and she's furious. I mean, I, you know, I've seen her, you know, she would, she took so many Brownback officials to task over the years, right. you know, you know, I, I remember, you know, her getting into a Susan Moser, you know, former health secretary and really, you know, Cutting to the core, it, it, I, the Kobach, uh, Laura Kelly debate would be fascinating, in my yes, opinion. Yes, yes, and and possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I've said in other places, and you and I talked about this, I'm not sure Chris Kobach will be the nominee. And frankly, if I think some Republicans are now thinking, if Laura Kelly is the Democrat, Chris Kobach is even more problematic because it will be such an obvious contrast between four more years of the sort of collision that we've had to date and and Laura Kelly who arguably would be able to reach a little bit more accommodation with moderates in the in the legislature so you know again I, I'm not sure Chris Kobach makes it out of the primary but if he does I mean that you know the national money is going to come roaring in the Democrats will see I mean we're in for quite a barn burner aren't we oh well, maybe we'll actually see the president come in too yeah. who knows yeah and what and it would be fascinating of course to know what impact that would have in mm-hmm. Kansas I mean you you bring them into Garden City, it's one thing. You bring them into Johnson County, it might have a completely different different um, uh, outcome. 
So as a final question, what about what what's the political environment in Kansas in 2018? I mean, you've got the second district race for Congress, which the Republicans may be conceding. I mean, they haven't really come up with anybody yet to go against Paul Davis. The third district is going to be hyper competitive, as we know, with the Kevin Yoder seat. People always see these things in isolation, but they all work together, don't they? I mean, it's going to be the, the, the climate is going to be something we have not seen in some time in the state. Well, this is a huge chance for Democrats. I mean, they, they could pick up two congressional seats. Probably their best chance in decades. Yeah, exactly. You have two congressional seats, seats and the governorship. But I also, you know, there is that concern. What if they don't win any of those? You know, and this is about as good a shot as they're going to get, you right. know, or have in the past. Are there down-ballot races the Democrats are competitive in, in Kansas? You know, Secretary of State or some of these other uh, I know, uh, you know, Marcy Francisco announced, you yeah. know, state senator for Secretary of State. Let's know. face it. Let's just be real. The focus is going to be on the governor's right. job. And it's, I mean, there will be some discussion of these other things, but it's all about the Democrats at the governor's level in these House races, and it's going to be amazing, right? It's going to be a long year. Yeah, right. Hunter Woodall with the Kansas City Star's editorial board. Thanks so much for coming in from Topeka, and we'll have you back again as we get a better sense of what's going on. And do whatever you can to push this uh, uh, state auditor thing. We think that's a pretty good deal. Hunter, thanks again for coming in. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm Dave Helling of the Star's editorial board. You have been on Deep Background. Deep Background.